Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, and we are coming to you on a Wednesday instead of our usual Thursday, because Thursday is, of course, Thanksgiving, the day on which we celebrate the greatness of planes, trains, and automobiles, the finest Thanksgiving movie ever made, uh, unless you count the original Rocky, which is to some extent a Thanksgiving movie, but even so, planes, trains, and automobiles is probably better. Uh, John, are you with me on planes, trains, and automobiles being one of the finest comedy films ever made? Well, Eric, and uh, uh, pardon my frog voice, by the way, but, um, you know, I don't know how many movies we would have in common, but yes, times a thousand on this one. I mean, (laughs) how can you lose with Steve Martin and John Candy for slapstick comedy? Uh, What a wonderful ride. I mean, John Candy driving and enjoying the car radio music and then winding up driving the wrong way on a highway. (laughs) (laughs) The rental car lady scene with the F-bombs. Those aren't pillows. One of the all-time great movie lines. Um, Yeah. And then comes that twist toward the end. Uh, not that anyone's not seen it, but maybe they haven't seen it in a long time and they've forgotten how great it is. Um, it's a gutsy twist, and uh, that's because there's just too many settings in the world, but it, it really works. Yeah, I'm glad to hear we have this in, in common. Uh, I was watching it on Thanksgiving last year with my kids, their first time seeing it. Uh, I hadn't seen it in several years, and my mother-in-law was watching too, and I had forgotten about all the F-bombs in that scene uh, with, the, with the lady at the car rental place. Uh, so uh, my, my mother-in-law was uh, shooting daggers at me uh, for exposing my kids to that. So, so I guess I'll say to the parents out there with youngish kids if you want to watch this movie on thanksgiving maybe seek out the edited for tv version mm-hmm. i think that's fair <laughs> i guess i could have let you uh, save that for your closing life advice maybe but uh, oh well <laughs> used it up here uh no f-bombs here on gamble on though we promise uh and thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 67 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 66 episodes they're all available on soundcloud and on itunes and the apple podcast app and you can give your thanks for the free entertainment that Gamble On provides by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. 
Yes, and I believe one guest out of the 66 uh, used an F-bomb, so you have to listen to all of them to make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> there but, you um, go. <laughs> you're not going to hear one today, though, because coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Jennifer Roberts. Uh, industry insiders know her best as the Associate Director of the UNLV International Center for Gaming Regulation. Uh, but now she's about to start a new job as Director of Sports Betting Regulation for the Tennessee Education Lottery. So we're going to pick her brain on what to expect when online sports betting launches in the volunteer state, as well as her decision to make the big move and her industry insights as a legal expert. Um, but first, it's been, okay, well, sort of, kind of another <laughs> busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our first story this week is one that we teased last week, uh, some late-breaking news that we didn't have time to dig into, but this week we do. William Hill is acquiring CG technology and taking over operations of its seven Nevada sportsbooks, plus one in the Bahamas. The deal is not official yet. Uh, it requires regulatory approval, but it's expected to close in the first half of 2020. For William Hill... The Rich Get Richer. The company ran 113 race and sports books in Nevada before this, but most were off the strip. Now it adds the Cosmopolitan, Venetian and Palazzo, Tropicana, and more. But what's good for them might not be great for gamblers, as more consolidation means fewer options, and CG was particularly renowned for its innovative in-game betting markets. Meanwhile, William Hill is growing everywhere, uh, acquiring Caesars sportsbooks in various states as well. As we know, some of the sharp bettors are not big fans of William Hill and accuse the sportsbook of limiting their action. So they'll surely view this news story as a bad thing. Uh, how do you see it, John? Uh, yes, I hear from some of those disgruntled fellows as well, Eric. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, you know, more competition equal better is a pretty well-ingrained American instinct. So uh, concern is duly noted. Um, I've also noted before, though, for the past year in U.S. gaming, if you aren't announcing big deals or getting close to doing that, you're going backwards for sure. So I don't know that William Hill U.S. has to stop here. They may they may go even further. So. And now I've made some Thanksgiving Eve gamblers sad, so sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of, of them going further, we should note that uh, in other William Hill news, the company is entering the Florida market. Uh, there's no legal mm -hmm. sports betting there yet, but uh, yep. if there should be in the next couple of years, William Hill will have its foot in the door uh, thanks to Casino Miami contracting to have William Hill operate its race book. So, uh, yeah, bettors can gripe about how William Hill interfaces with customers, but it's hard to knock the aggressive business approach. Um, you know, I, I don't know if when the dust settles, William Hill will be the leading name in U.S. sports betting, but it's clear that the ambition is there, at least. Yeah, we wondered six months ago, you know, their name is not as big, obviously, in the U.S. nationally. Um, could they hold on against the daily fantasy sports companies and, and some of the big casino companies and all that? But um, guess what? They're, they're going for it. They're rolling yep. the dice. Yep, they're making their move. Uh, all right, our next story is confirmation of something we believed was coming, and I think we may have talked about it once in the past on the podcast. DraftKings is officially getting the New Hampshire sports betting contract. It's not quite a monopoly because there will also be a New Hampshire lottery product operated by Intralot, but otherwise it's only DraftKings. Uh, 13 companies submitted proposals to operate in the state and DraftKings was selected, allowing DK to operate four to 10 retail sports books in the state in addition to offering the mobile DK sportsbook product. New Hampshire reportedly selected DraftKings because its proposal offered the highest revenue cut to the state and because it had the fastest implementation timeline. And the word is that DK expects to be operational before the Super Bowl. 
So, John, we don't quite have a monopoly here, but we have something close. What do you think of the way this is shaking down? And overall, how disappointed should New Englanders be with the mobile sports betting options they're getting so far in New Hampshire and Rhode Island? Well, I should mention that the intralot product will be just like parlays for casual players okay. who already use their online lottery games in New Hampshire. So it's, it's sort of a, uh, a a fun type thing. Maybe you give it as a gift or whatever. Um, so that monopoly word is close enough, I would say. Um, uh, no in-game betting at the retail sports books either, by the way. It's a little bit of a quirk. Um, no betting on in-state college events, which no offense. Uh, wait, is, is Dartmouth in New Hampshire? I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, is it New Hampshire or Vermont? I think it is New Hampshire. Yeah. New Hampshire, yeah, but not really. They they seem to their students seem to be too focused on their studies and not enough on athletics. So you don't really hear about them much. Come <laughs> not March enough Madness. on athletics. <laughs> exactly. So um, now I wrote about this deal in New Hampshire uh, on today, Thanksgiving Eve, and the core purpose of the lottery, and this is true in many states, is definitely to maximize revenue for public education. That's their goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so with only Rhode Island and its tiny sports betting industry and in all of New England, uh, it's pretty thin growth up there overall. Um, the path seems to be there, you would think, for DraftKings to jack up the betting lines. You know, what what's to stop them? But at what cost of their national reputation? Right. And if that would happen, it would follow them from state to state as they seek more such deals, right? In a few cases, um, they even need to clear up the legality of their daily fantasy sports product. And they don't need testimony at a hearing, you know, saying, well, look what they're doing to this other state. They'll do the same to us. So I, I think Granite Staters shouldn't panic just yet. Um, and residents who don't like sports should root like heck for the Patriots to not cover the Super Bowl this time. So New Hampshire can avoid the bath that Rhode Island took a year ago. <laughs> and you're just assuming New England, uh, the Patriots are getting to the Super Bowl. You're, you're just, uh, you you're just uh, penciling them in. I don't know. Ravens are looking pretty good at the moment. Yeah, that's true. Um, although the, the way to maximize the uh, revenue there, again, is get the Patriots into the Super Bowl, then have them lose it, <laughs> or at least right. not cover. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, the door is certainly wide open for Massachusetts to do mobile sports betting right and uh, and draw some customers in from some border states that have sports betting as well. Um, we'll see. You know, I, I, I'm tempted to call this, uh, you know, uh, obtaining this contract a big win for DraftKings in, in the battle with FanDuel, but... It's New Hampshire, uh, the 42nd most populous state, 1.3 million people. So it's still a win for DraftKings, but uh, probably would be wrong to call it a big win. And don't forget they're based in Massachusetts, so that state's going to be a big issue for them too. Right. All right. Lastly, it wouldn't be a news week on the podcast without an October sports betting revenue report. This time, it's Nevada's numbers in the spotlight. And as expected, the Silver State beat New Jersey in handle with $543.4 million, down a tiny bit from September's $546.3 million, but still about $55 million ahead of Jersey. Football accounted for 65% of the handle, and baseball did well also, up 11.6% year over year for October, thanks in part to Mattress Mac and Disastro's bets. Uh, So now we've had New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Iowa, and Nevada in the last few weeks. Any specific thoughts on Nevada or general thoughts on the October sports betting growth all over the country? Well, I think those new states can be kind of heartened by what they've seen in uh, uh, New Jersey, and it already been happening more in Nevada. Um, I'm impressed with the success in getting traditional football betters to also wager on MLB and then NBA, and that's smoothing out the margins across the year more than I expected. I mean, football is king, but these states are going to keep growing for all 12 months of the year now. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, make a little prediction for November that uh, New, new Jersey might just beat Nevada in November, or or at least – I'll predict New Jersey comes within $10 million. Mm. Um, you know, we all know Nevada's winning these months 
because people like to do the football Saturday and Sunday in person at the casino sports books and that there isn't the same in-person event draw in Jersey. 85% of betting is done uh, in, in New Jersey via mobile. Thanksgiving weekend, you know, the Thursday mm-hmm. games and even Saturday and Sunday, it's not a time for planning trips to Vegas. Uh, you'll, you'll have the Vegas locals, but not a lot of out-of-towners, I wouldn't think. However, it's a perfect weekend for watching football on TV and betting on your phone or computer. Uh, so this weekend, Thursday through Sunday, is made for New Jersey-style betting, not for Nevada-style betting. I'll predict uh, New Jersey loses by no more than $10 million for the month. Uh, that's pretty bold. I think it's going to be a little bigger deficit. Um, I know we like to think, well, everybody wants to be with their family on Thanksgiving weekend, and I don't know if that's 100% true. <laughs> I mean, it's true of my family, literally, but not right. true of everybody's family. All right. And, so, and I so certainly would never claim everybody wants to be, but nevertheless, most people <laughs> okay, are. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Jennifer Roberts has practiced gaming law in Nevada since 2003, has been an adjunct professor of gaming law at multiple schools, and was, until just about this very moment, the associate director of the UNLV International Center for Gaming Regulation. But in a few days, she'll be starting a new job as the director of sports betting regulation for the Tennessee Education Lottery, just as Tennessee prepares to launch legal online sports betting. You might know her on Twitter as at Vegas. I have no idea if she's going to change the handle to at JRO Nashville, but I guess she can let us know as we welcome her now to Gamble On. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. So will the Twitter handle be changing or are you holding on to that? Yeah, I'll hold on to it for now, but uh, JRO Nashville soon to come. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so congratulations on the new job. Uh, this is a, a very exciting opportunity. Walk us through your decision a little bit in terms of how easy or difficult it was to make this move and and what led you to decide to take the position in Tennessee. Yeah, it was a a difficult decision, but, you know, especially because I've been in Vegas for 17 years, I've, you know, had a long time gaming practice and have been teaching at the law school for over 10 years. So, you know, I've well-rooted in Las Vegas and and had established connections. But with the expansion of sports betting, seeing it go across the United States, seeing it develop, I thought this was a great opportunity to dip my toes into the regulatory space uh, and help launch sports betting in a new jurisdiction. And it really is exciting for me because it's mobile-only platform, and I'm excited to see that angle and see how that it hopefully it becomes a model for other jurisdictions have you spent a significant amount of time in tennessee before this or it's kind of a a whole new thing to uh to to be living there yeah i had been to memphis one time just to get to tunica and then i uh really haven't spent much time in nashville but uh so far it's exciting and and i honestly have never heard anyone say anything negative about nashville everyone loves it they visited there so that gives me comfort Yeah, Jennifer, one thing that surprised a lot of people when I talk to them is that um, my job has not changed that much going from the newspaper industry to being a senior analyst at usbets.com. Uh, pretty much the same concept. Uh, and, but I wonder, this job seemed a lot different. So uh, how, how similar will this job be for you or will it be a completely new world for you? 
Yeah, it's a, it's new in that I went from the advisory uh, space to the academic space and now the regulatory space. So kind of seeing the government side of things. But it's also not new because when I represented clients before the Nevada Gaming Control Board and Commission, I saw and was exposed to all levels of regulation uh, from pre-licensing process to, you know, hopefully not too much enforcement to audit. So I was exposed to the regulatory process from the, you know, representative of a licensee perspective. And then working with the UNLV International Center for Gaming Regulation, I worked a lot with regulators to help them, um, you know, educate them on different aspects of gaming regulation to talk about best practices to look at different models of regulation and so I was at least exposed to it there as well and so now I can use those experiences and get into the government side of the regulation and uh, oversee who uh, you know were kind of the representatives now I'll get to interact with them now from a government perspective. Right. Um, you mentioned when I asked you the first question that uh, about the mobile only angle and, and uh, how exciting that is. Uh, you know, this Tennessee model without casinos, without land-based sports betting, how common do you expect that to be? Uh, will, will other states follow? And, and what's the pressure like on Tennessee to, to get it right and prove that this can work, that it can be good for the state, the people and the operators? Right. Well, I mean, we've seen such a development of mobile sports betting anyway. I mean, what it, New Jersey has 80% of their bets placed online. Um, and, you know, we're seeing increased numbers in Nevada. It's well over 50% now. So shifting to the mobile platform isn't anything new. And I don't think that necessarily being a mobile only state precludes businesses from coming in and setting up some brick and mortar kind of uh, establishment. For example, you could set up a, you know, where you have a representative of a sports um, company, sports betting company, and they're on site and you have a sports bar and you're just helping facilitate the wagering through mobile platform. So I think there could be some brick and mortar component. It's just now we're going to see it uh, shifting away from brick and mortar casino environment or, um, you know, some other kind of kiosk type betting. It's now just everything facilitated through the mobile uh, device. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about the fact that you could have a brick and mortar component that's not, you know, your, your standard casino sports book, but to still have something to go along with it with the mobile in the state. That's, that's interesting that that opportunity exists there in Tennessee. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, it's an open licensing system. So unlike some lottery arrangements, it's not operated necessarily through the lottery. It's done um, in a kind of open licensing, um, you know, as long as they pass suitability and, you know, pay the, the fees, they can, you know, obtain licensing. But whereas, you know, some are, it's it's operated through the lottery and then they might just you know, contract with companies for risk management or for certain parts of the operation. So, so kind of like the casino regulatory model, it's um, operated similar to that, but it's within the auspices of the lottery. Right. Yeah, Jennifer, I'd like to ask people from Las Vegas this um, uh, with regard to New Jersey, you know, a decade ago, um, uh, following the sort of a uh, long shot effort to get the case going in court and that gets thrown out. 
very little notice in 2011. New Jersey residents uh, passed a uh, referendum that said that the New Jersey could do this in spite of federal law. Of course, mm -hmm. the, the uh, lawsuit comes in 2012 uh, by the leagues, and uh, New Jersey loses two to one at a federal court of appeals level. They lose two to one at a federal court of, over the years. And I'm wondering at what point in this long process did as somebody looking from Las Vegas start to think, you know, New Jersey might have something here. Maybe they're not completely crazy. Or did it take <laughs> until the Supreme Court actually turned it over? Yeah, actually, I was going to say it was when the decision was issued. That, oh, wow. Okay, they really did uh, uh, make a ruling on this. I thought, you know, if you approached it as it's a, it's a case about sports betting, then I didn't think that the Supreme Court would be interested in, in you know, discussing it or ruling in favor of sports betting. But as a, an approach that it's a state versus federal issue it has further implications as far as maybe it extends to how we are treating cannabis regulation and how we treat you know sanctuary cities so it had broader implications than just being a sports betting case so but i was still surprised they ruled in favor they found PASPA invalid and you know in retrospect it makes sense it's a it was a pretty uh, poorly drafted law and <laughs> didn't make a whole lot of sense um, and, and giving states the authority to have now a new channel of gaming versus just keeping it to casinos or lottery or horse racing made sense. Yeah, I, I was sort of betting on inertia myself, so I would have lost if that was uh, available at my local sports book. Um, because I thought that clearly the law was uh, flawed, and all nine justices agreed there was something wrong with this. So that that I thought was clear over the years. But yeah, the, the chances of the Supreme Court taking a case, and as you say, on the surface, who cares about sports betting, grand scheme of things? We have bigger things to worry about, obviously. But yes, from the constitutional standpoint, it was a unique case. You know, the leagues getting this, the private organizations getting this power to to file lawsuits and everything. It just it never happened before or since. And um, right. so I, I, just, I was still surprised myself. Yeah, and it'll be interesting, you know, now I don't know that I would have the confidence that a Wire Act violation or Wire Act challenge um, would be able to get to the Supreme Court and, and favorable ruling like PASPA. I mean, yeah, PASPA had some really unique elements. It was, it targeted the governments versus private citizens or businesses. It targeted, you know, gave enforcement authority to private organizations. So, I don't see, even though the Wire Act is a terrible, even worse law and doesn't make sense in today's world, uh, I don't see it getting to a favorable result um, like the passive decision. But then, you know, I didn't predict the passive decision. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm about one month older than the Wire Act. So I kind of think that it might be time to revisit it. <laughs> I always say, like, how do you play roulette, you know, across state lines with the interpretation that it applies to all forms of gambling, you know, or, you know, so it just doesn't make sense at all. Right. <laughs> well, this is great. Uh, it's it's good to have your uh, your 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 legal expertise to help uh, understand some of this stuff. That uh, I I know a lot of it goes over my head, but uh, it's it's great to get your input on it, Jennifer. And it's it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, of course, best of luck uh, with with the move and with the new job. Thank you, and you know, come visit me in Nashville and <laughs> have some barbecue. So <laughs> excellent. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. thanks Jennifer. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? 
It's time to check in on the Gamble On Bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first we update our betting bankroll, and it doesn't get much more break-even than this. We went 2-2 two and two last week and ended up winning, drumroll please, one dollar. Uh, sadly, my Thursday night player prop streak ended at eight as Deshaun Watson did not run for over 25 and a half yards. So we lost 112 bucks there. However, John has grabbed the baton and started his own Thursday player prop streak. His bet on DeAndre Hopkins to score a touchdown came through. So we won $105 on that. John didn't do quite as well with his golf bet. Billy Horschel didn't make the cut. That's another $112 loss. But my three-team teaser delivered for us, uh, not not with much room to spare, mind you. Uh, we had the Cowboys tease to plus 13 and a half. That was pretty safe. <laughs> we had the Saints tease to minus one and a half. That got real close, but we pulled it out. And we had the Dolphins teased up to plus 18, and we needed every last point of it as they <laughs> rallied to lose by 17. It's uh, magic. Yeah. Yep, indeed. So we won $120 on that. That's $225 in wins for the week and $224 in losses, <laughs> a net gain of a buck. Uh, I want to go over the status of our various NFL futures bets. Uh, but first, anything to comment on regarding last week's bets, John? Uh, I just want to say Hopkins scored twice, so I feel even better about that pick. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we don't get paid twice on it, but no. still, uh, it's yeah, it's a win that you can feel uh, you definitely uh, were on the right side of it, uh, and it wasn't just uh, some some kind of lucky fluky win. <laughs> like I get this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, we'll take it. A win is a win, right? Um, all right, so let's go through our NFL futures now that every team has had its bye week. We're 11 games down, five to go. Uh, we have the Colts plus 1600 to win the Super Bowl for $50. Not great. Uh, we have the Bears at plus 2000 for another $50. Pretty darn awful. Uh, we have Washington to win the <laughs> NFC East at plus 800. And uh, mathematically, they're alive. But, can we put uh, a bullet in that one? Or, oh, please. <laughs> Yeah, uh, until until it's officially a loser, we can't cross it off. But yeah, that's going to be a hundred dollar loss. Um, in brighter news, we have the Giants under five and a half wins. They're mm-hmm. two and nine. We look great on that one. We have Nick Chubb at plus two thousand for the rushing title, and this one is exciting. He's six yards behind Christian McCaffrey yeah. for the league lead, uh, and it doesn't look like the addition of Kareem Hunt has hurt Chubb at all. So we have a real fifty-fifty chance to win a twenty-to-one bet. Um, we have Sony Michelle under nine hundred ninety-nine and a half yards. He has six hundred, so he's on pace for eight seventy-three. So we're pretty good there. We have the under on Dak Prescott passing yards, and uh, he's leading the league. Uh, the only thing that can stop him from going over is an injury. Uh, but as an Eagles fan, I, w- I would never root for such. Oh, thing. never. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a tiny bet on Derek Carr to lead the NFL at passing yards at fifty to one. That's not happening. We have the Rams over ten and a half wins. They're six and five. They need to win out, so that looks bleak. We have the Browns under nine and a half wins. They're five and six. Uh, we're good as long as they don't win out. We have the Jaguars over eight wins. They're four and seven, so ugh. Uh, and we have the Raiders under six wins. They're six and five. We need a miracle just to push. Uh, we really stink at over-under win totals, it seems. Uh, one last thing to note, we bet on Patrick Mahomes to win the MVP, and he promptly got injured. That's now an extreme long shot. So, John, we have a few bright spots here, but we really need Nick Chubb to come through and save us. Thoughts? 
we do kind of stink at those, I guess. But um, I continue to recommend futures, though, because uh, they're season-long bets. Well, most of them, a few of those early ones are, are not going to last through the whole season. But um, you know, as long as you make modest wagers, you can afford to lose the whole lot, practically. Uh, in fact, you could buy futures bets as stocking stuffers or inserts to the bench on the bench. And uh, unless there's some regulation against that, in which case I'm only kidding. <laughs> That's a fun idea. Give someone a futures bet as a gift. We do, People give lottery tickets. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Makes sense. Um, all right. So again, uh, we won one whole dollar last week. We're now in the black by two hundred ninety dollars. Uh, we still have two thousand four hundred twenty-seven dollars on hold in futures bets, leaving us with nine thousand eight hundred sixty-three dollars available to bet this week. And I'm up first. Uh, I'll go short and sweet on this one. Bears versus Lions. Thanksgiving Day. Mitchell Trubisky for the Bears. For the Lions, not Stafford. Maybe not even Driscoll. Uh, the oh. XFL blocked them from snapping up Josh Johnson. So it might be Trubisky <laughs> versus David Blau, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I've never heard of the guy before. Uh, I'm jumping on the under. The line is 38 and a half total points. I'm betting 110 to win 100 on the under. That sounds pretty good. Um, all right, Turkey Day prop it is. Um, Amari Cooper looking to bounce back from getting smoked by the Patriots. Um, so for the Cowboys there, he's not plus 950 on him scoring the first TD of the game. Um, so that's enticing at a mere $20 to win 190. And to score it all, I'm going Cooper at 50 to win 75. Okay. A little double up on uh, the Thursday player props on the same guy. I like it. Um, let's do a little two-team NBA money line parlay with uh, two Wednesday night Thanksgiving Eve games. The 12 and four Raptors are minus 550 at home against the four and 13 Knicks. The 15 and two Lakers are minus 290 on the road versus the six and 11 Pelicans. Parlay the Raptors and Lakers, and it comes to minus 170. That's a pretty good price. I know you don't like parlays, but you can't stop me. I'm risking $170 to win 100. Yeah, I think only load management can beat you there. Last-minute load management might hurt right. you, but otherwise you'll be fine. Um, my under is similar to yours in a way. Browns and Steelers at uh, 40 points on Sunday, 110 to win 100. Steelers' defense is actually pretty decent, and there's no point in mentioning the rest of these two teams. <laughs> okay, then let's move right along to the Fast Five, uh, where I went – from leading by a half game to trailing John by a half game, neither of us had a good week. Uh, our shared picks were both losers. I went one and four overall. John went two and three. So now, John, you are back in the lead. You're 31-27-2. and two. I'm 30-27-3. and three. And you're up first this week. And since we're recording on a Wednesday morning, no super contest lines yet. So we'll use DraftKings lines as of Tuesday evening. I thought, sure, Eric, you would mention your um, your Raiders pick against the Jets. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I, my, I, I may get around to that when I make my picks, actually. All right. But, and my yeah. Ravens pick over the uh, Rams, which is pretty good, actually. <laughs> so I feel like I'm more than a half game ahead. But any rate, um, so let's start with the Bills. I'm finally picking the Bills, plus six and a half at Dallas on Thanksgiving. Um, the Bills aren't eight and three good, obviously, but their defense is good enough to keep them in this game, at least. Um, then... Uh, Souring the Dolphins, but I'm going back to the well. Plus nine against the Eagles. Um, I expect the Eagles to send even more players to the IR for eating too much turkey and trimmings. Um, and so they won't be ready Sunday. Uh, so I'm hoping on that anyway. Um, 
Bengals plus three and a half over Jets. I had the Bengals winning outright last week, but the Steelers threw me for a loop. They benched quarterback Mason Rudolph of the game, so I settled for a shaky cover. Um, this week, the Bengals finally win. There's no franchise that can't stand prosperity like the Jets. And, of course, Andy Dalton is back in, in the uh, lineup, which is not saying much, but it's an improvement. Um, Redskins plus 10 at Panthers. I mean, I prefer the bad team getting the 10 points. Thanks. Um, then Seahawks minus two and a half versus Vikings on Monday night. You know, when the sun goes down, so does Kirk Cousins. It's a tradition like no other. <laughs> all right. Well, we have one pick in common. Otherwise, we are on all different games uh, this week, although uh, you are on the right side of Miami and the Eagles. I just uh, am not willing to pick against my team. But, uh, yeah, nine. Uh, uh, the Eagles, the, the the walking wounded, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's getting ugly. But, uh, anyway, enough, en- enough about uh, caring about who wins and loses. That's not how betting works. It's all about spreads. Um, I'm taking one Thanksgiving game. Uh, the Saints got embarrassed by the Falcons a couple of weeks ago. It isn't happening again. I don't see a total blowout, but I think New Orleans can cover six and a half points against the Falcons, especially if Julio Jones is dealing with a shoulder problem. Um, so our shared pick is the Bengals. They're 0 and 11. They're home against the Jets. They've put their semi-competent quarterback back in the lineup. That tells me they want to win this game. They see it as their best opportunity to avoid 0 and 16. Maybe they'll win, maybe not, but they're getting three and a half points at home in a game and for which they're motivated. So like you, I'm taking Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, I hesitate to say that I love the Browns giving two points in Pittsburgh because the Browns are one of those teams that lays an egg the moment you start to feel good about them. But the offense is finally starting to click. They're still in the wild card mix. This is a must win game for them against a middling at best Steelers team. I think talent wins out and the Browns cover the two points. Um, I don't know what the hell happened to the Raiders last week. Uh, I got that one way wrong. But I subscribe to the theory that they were looking ahead to this Chiefs game. This is their prove-it week. I don't know that they can beat Kansas City on the road, but these division games tend to be close. Nine and a half points is too much. I'm taking Oakland to cover. Uh, And lastly... You can never go too wrong picking the Patriots when they're only a small favorite. They're giving three points in Houston. The Texans are the Texans. The Patriots are the Patriots. How's that for well-thought-out analysis? All right. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for this Thanksgiving episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jennifer Roberts. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, Eric, you and maybe some others might have wondered uh, how long have these Thanksgiving Day football games been going on anyway? And it's a lot longer than I thought anyway. Yale versus Princeton, there's always a jersey angle. Um, on this day, it goes back to 1876. Mm. Uh, Michigan, the University of Chicago, had a thing going on Turkey Day in the 1890s. First pro football games on that day also date back to that era. Oh, it's long before the NFL came along. Um, Chicago Bears and Chicago Cardinals, annual NFL rivals in the 1920s on Thanksgiving Day. Um, Wait, did you say the- Chicago Bears and Chicago Cardinals? Cardinals, yeah, they? Chicago Cardinals oh, before right. St. Louis Cardinals before didn't, Arizona didn't know Cardinals. That. Yeah. Wasn't sure if that was a misspeak or if that was nope. legit. Okay, that's, good to that's know. Right. I right. don't quite remember that, but I <laughs> I do remember the St. Louis Cardinals very well. Um, 1950s, it became the Green Bay Packers each year visiting Detroit. And probably at some point they realized, why are we visiting Detroit in a division game every year on Thanksgiving, which is a big disadvantage. Um, so Detroit by then had cemented its permanent status as an irrelevant host of a Thanksgiving game. Um, they allow fans of all other teams to give thanks that, hey, at least their franchise 
Paradise is more successful than the Lions. So it's good for everybody except for Lions. Um, so, yeah, the Lions and Cowboys each have been locked in as annual hosts now for more than 40 years, by the way. Um, as the Cowboys for the last few decades, they play their annual role of being pretty good. And maybe if you squint and they win and then they're going to disappoint at some point. So uh, overall, Eric, that's probably more than you wanted to know about Thanksgiving Day football. But with that said, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And until next time, gamble on.